Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbos, everybody. So in the Torah portion that we read this morning from Noah, it begins by saying, Elei toldot Noah, these are the generations of Noah. Noah ish tzadik tamim haya bedorotav, et Elohim hitalech Noah. And Noah was in his generation a righteous man and wholehearted, and Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet, and the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas, with violence. And God saw the earth and its corruption, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Make an ark of gopher wood, make the ark with rooms, and you shall cover it with pitch on the inside and on the outside with pitch. It's interesting because the very first verse of our Torah portion says that Noah is ish tzadik tamim, that he is a righteous man in his generation. And it also says, Et Elohim hitalech Noach, that Noach walked with God. It's interesting because the rabbis, believe it or not, kind of struggle with Noah. Because at first glance, the language and description of Noah is a little complicated. It says that he is righteous in his generation, but what if he lived in another generation? Or, when other great tzaddikim, like Abraham and Moses, are confronted with the challenge by God that he's going to destroy the world, what do they do? They go to bat on behalf of the world or behalf of the Jewish people with Moses. Right? Really, God, that you would really destroy all of this? Think about Abraham. What if 50 righteous people are found in the city? Would you really destroy it for 50 people? Would you really destroy it 40, 30, 12, 10, right? And even Moses, when God says, step out of the way, Moses, because I'm going to destroy this people and make a great people out of you. And Moses gives this great response to God. Really? Like, <laughs> what would everybody else say if, you know, like God's worried about his reputation? Uh, he says, what would everybody else say that if you really did that? It's interesting that nowhere, not a single time in this entire Torah portion does Noah pray to Hashem to spare his generation from destruction. Not once. And if his generation is so wicked, then why is there even no mention of his rebuking the people for their ways? Not only does he not plead with God, he doesn't even plead with the people to change their ways. Now, to be clear, in the end, of course, Noah's regarded as Zadik, a righteous person for good reason. But it doesn't mean that we don't still wrestle with the text and ask difficult questions. But we do believe that in the end, he, he, he is righteous, not just in his generation, but as a righteous person, and for me, the greatest indication of that is his ability to trust God even when God asks of him something that seems absolutely absurd. Think about this for a moment. First of all, God tells Noah he is going to destroy the world. 
And then after such a warning, he then instructs Noah to build a giant floating box. Because that's exactly what it is. If you read the dimensions very closely, it is a square rectangle. It's a rectangular box. I know most of you probably imagine the ark as some kind of an elaborate wooden Titanic, but, <laughs> which I wouldn't want it to be, right? <laughs> but the reality is that it was a giant primitive box with some rooms. But the most amazing thing is it might not have been much to look at, but this thing was able to float. And in fact, when they've actually done, like there are people who have built replicas and tried to sink this thing in all kinds of... Uh, um, you know, tanks and stuff, that this thing is actually pretty solid. The, the, the way and the dimensions that this thing was, God was told, uh, that God told Moses to construct it. And yet, on this too, Noah doesn't question God. But in this case, it is accounted to him as righteousness. Noah was a man of faith, it's, and it says he obviously walked with God. Due to his faith and intimate relationship with Hashem, Noah knew to trust God even when what he was being asked seemed absolutely absurd. God asked Noah to build a floating wooden box, and Noah does not balk at the idea, question God, or even procrastinate. In chapter 7 it says, And Noah did everything according to all that the Lord had commanded him. That's why in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Noah, after receiving divine warning about things as yet unseen, was filled with holy fear and built an ark to save his household. Through this faith, he put the world under condemnation and received the righteousness that comes through faith. It was through this enormous floating box that Hashem brought redemption not only to him, his family, but also to all of the living things that were on board. I want you to think about Noah and the faith that this person had, that not only does he build exactly what God told him to do, but even when they enter the ark, the rain had not yet begun. And you can imagine how people were probably laughing at him and balking at him, and how he, maybe he is even, own, even his own family probably questioned his sanity. And do you know what happened? We like to think that the doors close and the rain begins to fall. Guess how long they're in the ark before the rain begins to fall? Seven days. And it says, once they were in, sealed in the ark for seven days, that God began to open. Not only it says to the from below, but from above. And then it rains for 40 days and 40 nights straight, and there's a great flood. And not only are they then on the, the boat for 47 days, but then for an entire year they're on the boat because it's one year later. In the second month of the 601st year of Noah's life, that they finally are able to get out on dry land. That's a long time. <laughs> a long time to have faith. Although once the rain started coming and it was clear that everything was being wiped out, I think it was easy to have faith after that. <laughs> Say, okay, we made the right decision. 
But there are a lot of other interesting clues in this Torah portion, as Cheryl mentioned, that we don't have time to go into, but I want to mention just one interesting thing. The ark that Noah builds, in Hebrew, is called a teva, teva. This word only appears two places in the entire Torah. Guess where the other place is? Now, go ahead and guess. It's okay. There's no, you know, you're not going to be penalized if... In Revelation? It's a, it's a good, maybe a good guess, but we're talking about in the Torah. The Ark of the Covenant, because we call it an Ark in English. That's a good, a very good guess. Boom. Moses' baby basket in Exodus. The only other time, whoever said that first, but I, I, I heard it from you. So, from Mallory first. So, in Exodus, the only other time the word teva is used is in reference to the reed basket. Again, it doesn't help in English that we use the word ark. <laughs> she got a prize. We should start doing that regularly, right? If you answer a question right. Well. That's how they train. It used to be that in cheder, like in a Jewish school, little kids would first learning the letters of the Torah by giving them either candy or, or honey, sweet things, so that they would always associate the words of Torah with something sweet. So we should do the same thing, right? <laughs> What's that? Oh, you do it in Shabbat school? Train up a child in the way they should go, and then they will always eat candy. <laughs> right, okay. So the only other time that the teva is used is in reference to this, again, it sometimes doesn't help to use English words in replacement of other things, but we call it a basket, but that's not the word that the Hebrew uses. The Hebrew word is this crazy thing, a teva. Moshe is placed in by his mother and hidden in the Nile River, only to be re retrieved later by Pharaoh's daughter. This is intentional. The Torah does not haphazardly use words, even though we think, gosh, there's so many words in the Torah. But actually, the, the, the Hebrew is very intentional. So the, word, the use of the word teva is meant to connect these two stories together, the story of the flood and the story of Moses as a baby. So then we have to ask deeper questions. Why are they connected and how are they connected? What are the connections between the two narratives? First of all, both of these are mysterious vessels. They are literally boxes. When you look at the dimensions of the Ark and the Torah, as I mentioned a moment ago, it is not a typical ship. It's a box. They are both covered with pitch, right? It's part of the instructions for making them or the description of them. They're both covered with pitch. And they are both divinely directed, meaning that neither of them are guided by any human means. The reed basket Moshe is placed in is divinely directed. It's led by the current of the river. In the instructions for building the ark, there is no steering mechanism. There's no steering wheel. There's no rudder. It's meant to be divinely directed. Both of these were vessels of redemption. The challenge for you and I this morning is, this question that I think leaps out at us, has God ever asked you to do something that seemed impossible or even preposterous and absurd? What was your response? 
I can think of so many times in my life where I felt like God was leading me in a direction that seemed impossible. Or even just impossible situations. I think about a, a time that, I mean, I could tell you a few stories, but one particular is there was, um, when I first moved to L.A. 21 years, no, years ago to begin my rabbinical studies, uh, my roommate at the time was Ralph Seda. Some of you remember Ralph. And there was, um, I mean, when I first got here, I didn't have a job and all that kind of stuff. I, I think about it now, and it was pretty crazy. I literally just packed up my truck, moved to California to be a part of this thing, the Messianic Mentoring Institute. And I remember thinking, like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there were bills that were adding up. And I remember uh, just thinking to God, it was either like three or $600. I don't remember now. But I remember one night, because I slept on his couch, but for whatever reason, I think Jonathan was there, his son. And so I was sleeping on the floor. And I remember just crying out to God. Like, I was trying to, you know, when you're so desperate, but you don't want anybody to hear you, <laughs> just crying into my pillow, God, I need exactly, again, I don't remember if it was three or six, because it's 21 years ago, whether it was three or $600, I just remember praying, God, God, I need this, I need, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have this, like, this is, I might have to go home, move back to Oregon, like, you know, tail between my legs, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And within a, a couple of days, I received an envelope with, with, again, either three or six $100 bills, the exact amount that I prayed for. And there's no way that could have happened. This was in the apartment. I was you know, praying to God like there was no return address on the, on the envelope. And I just remember like, just how shocked I was that there's, how did this happen? Like, you know what I mean? Like to receive an envelope in the mail with exactly the amount that I prayed for, because it was an even number. Also, like, to be able to do the things that when I left to live in Hungary, you know, like, I didn't think, like, how is this going to be possible? How am I going to raise the support that I needed to be able to do that? But God met, the, God met the need. Over and over again, you and I both can look back at times in which we thought, this is impossible, right? There's no way I'm going to be able to get out of this. And somehow, God met our needs still waiting to be rich, right, like Tevia, <laughs> still waiting to build that, that big house with the stairway that goes nowhere, <laughs> just for show, right? You know the song. But since God has not blessed me enough with that, but that's not the point. God doesn't give us more than we need. He promised that he'd give us what we need, exactly what we need. Sometimes that's a little more, sometimes it's a little less, but the point is the same. Sometimes it's not even finances. Sometimes it's healing. Sometimes it's deliverance from a situation. Sometimes it's a repair of a relationship with somebody. No matter what it is, there's always a way. Despite the circumstances, despite how absurd that it sounds, God asks us to just believe. There was a time I was really convicted by that verse that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be able to speak to this mountain, be moved, and it would be moved. And I remember thinking, just being so convicted, like, gosh, 
my faith apparently is not even as big as a mustard seed. Because <laughs> I haven't spoken to any mountains lately, <laughs> and they haven't been moved. What is our response when God asks us something that seems absurd? Do we respond with the faith of Noah? Or do we balk at the idea and even question whether or not it's from God? Because God will often ask us to do something that seems impossible. And our response needs to be like that of Noah. To not even question, which is difficult, right? And it's okay to maybe wonder, is this what God is really calling me to do as long as we're faithful? But that's what really made Noah so great and why he's considered exotic is because he doesn't even question it. He just goes right about in doing what God told him to do and he didn't care about what everybody else thought. He didn't even really care about what his family thought, whether they really believed that he heard from God or not. And I pray that at this time, in this season when God asks difficult things of us, that we would have that same faith. That each one of us would be blessed in the coming year to have at least mustard seed-sized faith. Because I believe that if each one of us would simply have that faith the size of a mustard seed, there would be no holding back what God could do in us and through us. We want to be a light, right, in the, not only the Canal Valley, but the Southern California area, to the U.S., to the world. But that can only happen with people who's, who are able to say, God, I have nothing, but you have everything. I don't have any answers. I just have lots of questions. But whatever it is that you ask me to do, wherever you want to send me, wherever you want me to go, hineni. Here I am. Because with God, we can do all things. And hopefully, at the end of our lives, we'll hear not only that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, but that somebody will explain to somebody else about our lives, saying that person walked with God. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, I pray that we would have that simple kind of faith like Noah. That when you ask him to do something that seems absurd, that he just, go ahead, he just goes ahead and, and does it. God, I pray that you would do the same thing in us, that you would give us faith to believe even for the things that seem impossible, that we would believe that you are there, that you are still at work in the world today and in each and every one of us, that not only do you care in that you are the originator of everything that exists? But that since creation, you didn't just back off, but instead you're actively involved. Help us partner with you, God, in bringing redemption into the world to prepare the world for the return of Messiah. Because we might not know the day or the hour, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's our job to be actively involved out there, preparing for the kingdom. Help us to follow you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our might. 
In the name of Yeshua, amen. <laughs>